This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. You probably don't know the name Mark Rosewell, but the 49-year-old from Ottawa is actually one of the most famous Canadians in the world. His television character, Dashan, is a household name in China where he's been a huge celebrity for a quarter of a century. This week he was in town for the 2014 Idea City Conference and we had a chance to talk culture and comedy. Another guest at this year's Idea City Conference has some advice if you want to put the zip back in your marriage. More lust may seem like an unlikely prescription from an ultra-Orthodox Jewish rabbi. But relationship expert Rabbi Shmuley Boteach will explain why it's all completely kosher. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. With four federal by-elections coming up at the end of the month, CARP is teaming up with the Canadian Medical Association to make a national senior strategy into a priority. VP Advocacy Susan Eng says the by-election candidates are being asked to endorse or reject 12 seniors' care issues. We do have an aging population which has particular challenges, but they have to be met with a much more innovative way than we have been doing so far because we can't afford to be doing the same thing. New research shows the benefits of mammograms clearly outweigh the dangers, but the results contradict science from earlier studies. A British review in 2012 concluded that for every life mammograms save, about three other women are unnecessarily treated for a cancer that would never have threatened their lives. And in February, a Canadian paper suggested mammograms do not lower the risk of dying from breast cancer. But in the new work, Norwegian scientists conclude that mammogram screening reduces breast cancer deaths by nearly 30%. If you're job hunting, here's something to think about. A new study from the University of British Columbia finds self-promoters have a better chance of getting hired than equally qualified applicants who are modest. For the study, participants were videotaped as they simulated the role of a job applicant. An analysis concluded that people who rated as narcissists were viewed as more attractive job candidates. The researchers say the findings also suggest that applicants from other cultures that place greater emphasis on humility may have a harder time landing a job in North America. And finally this week, we lost Gary Goffin, writer of some of the most memorable pop lyrics of all time. Take good care of my baby. With his wife, Carol King, Goffin wrote more than 50 hit songs, including Will You Love Me Tomorrow, The Locomotion, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, and Take Good Care of My Baby. Goffin married King in 1959 while they were still in their teens. 
They divorced in 1968. Their love affair is the subject of the Tony Award-nominated Broadway musical Beautiful, the Carol King musical. Goffin died at his home in Los Angeles. He was 75. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. He's a priest's kid from Ottawa who grew up to become a comedic icon in China. Mark Rosewell is considered a foreigner, but not an outsider. He's maintained his celebrity status there for 25 years with a front-row view of the massive changes in Chinese society. He dropped by our studios before his presentation at Idea City. It's great to be able to bridge cultures because I find, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years now and there's an awful lot of interaction, more interaction now between China and the West than there was a generation ago. You've got Chinese talking to Chinese about the West, Westerners talking to Westerners about China. You've got very few people that actually go to the other side and talk to the other audience. Uh, You grew up in Ottawa, in Nepean, suburb of Ottawa. When did you first get interested in China and why? Towards the end of high school, just out of curiosity, and that's the early to mid-1980s. I guess I graduated in 84, and so I thought it would be something interesting to do at university. So you graduated from university, you got a scholarship to study Chinese in China. At that point then, I thought, okay, well, now I need to make the decision. Is this just something fun I did in my youth, or is this actually going to be a career? And I arrived in China, and within three months, I was on television. So a, a career sort of hit me square in the face. Television station came to the university looking for a foreigner fluent in English and Chinese that could help host a bilingual show. And so I, I was I was volunteered by one of my teachers as as one of the better students there. Uh, and nobody predicted that that show would have the impact that it did. And it, it just snowballed. It led to the next and the next. And 25 years later, here we are. When you think about it, it's amazing. I mean, you are exposed on the one hand to millions and millions of people when you get on television. But you think one bit and also the longevity of your career. I mean, people are hot for 15 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Well, I've been called the accidental celebrity, and I and I accept that for the early part of the career, because certainly I was a university student and this random opportunity, and nobody predicted how, how big it would be. But, you know, it's it's been another 25 years of random mistakes after that, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, you have to keep reinventing yourself, certainly, especially in a country like China that's evolving so rapidly. I mean, if you look at Canada from the 1980s to now, there's been huge societal change, but nowhere near the change that we've seen in, in China. It's, it's, it's really revolutionary. You're talking about comedy. That really goes to the core of culture. I mean, there really are differences in what people in different cultures find funny. Yeah. So, But we find, I, I've talked a lot, of, uh, this is a topic that comes up a lot, and uh, it's not the sense of humor that changes. It, the sense of humor is, is very human. It's, it's, it's sort of part of the, the shared human experience, but the content of comedy changes. Yes. You have to talk about things that resonate, that, that people understand. So, you know, making jokes about uh, hockey uh, yeah, don't, don't go very far in, <laughs> in China. And do you consider yourself Chinese? I think some of the distinctions we make between different peoples are are perhaps not as solid as we think. I mean, I think when you work in an international environment, you be, you get a much more of a sense what it really means to be a global citizen. So I'm a Canadian. I'm very proud of being Canadian. I, I grew up Canadian. But, you know, I've also lived in China uh, for 20-some years. So obviously I've, I've been affected by the culture. There's, there's part of me that's Chinese. 
Now here we're Zoomer Media. This is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Uh, Zoomer is the word that we've coined for uh, somebody over 45. Would there be a Chinese equivalent? I'm 49, so I count. Yeah, uh, you count. Would there be an equivalent in Chinese? Oh boy. Well, it's interesting in China. They, they divide the generations differently. In China, people who were born in the 80s are very different from people who were born in the 60s and 70s, the Cultural Revolution compared to the the Reform Age. Like in Canada, if you're born in 1975 or 1985, it's not a huge difference. But in China, that is a huge difference. That's a generational difference right there, a a generational gap, in fact, in 10 years. So what would they call your generation or the equivalent of a baby? So for me, they would call me a Liuling Ho, which is someone born in the 60s, because that immediately pegs you as somebody who was born in the Cultural Revolution period. And by the time reform came, you were perhaps already 20. Born before 1949 puts you into the pre-revolution, before the communist revolution. So that's a big turning point as well. The baby boomers here, that's really 20-some years, right, from post-World War to the early 60s. Um, The generations in China, I think, are divided much more finely because whether you were born in the 50s or the 60s, again, is a big big difference. The society has just changed so rapidly, which is what I find really fascinating about China. It's it's an ancient civilization. It's the oldest continuous civilization in the world. And yet it's this incredibly young and vibrant society that's just changing, changing, changing. And, you know, people today who are 30 are just flabbergasted with the difference between them and people who are 18 or 20. I mean, just in 10 years, there's a huge generation gap in in China that you don't see as much in Western societies that tend to be more stable. Okay, so final question. Do you think, could you say in Chinese, you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review? 听众朋友们,你们好,你们现在收听的是Zoomer一周的回顾。Perfect. There's no translation for Zoomer. So So Zoomer is in English. Okay. (laughs) Dashan, thank you you so much. It's been fun. You can see Dashan's talk at Idea City 2014 by visiting ideacityonline.com. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break, and then it's back with the outspoken Rabbi Shmuley Boteach, author of Kosher Lust, Love is Not the Answer. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. If you look up marriage in the Oxford Book of Quotations, you will find such optimistic outlooks like Samuel Dryden, who wrote on his wife's tombstone in the 1780s, here lies my wife, here let her lie, now she's at peace, and so am I. That's Rabbi Shmuley Boteach presenting at Idea City this week. He says the problem with modern marriage is too much emphasis on love and not enough lust. He's a rabbi that once counted Michael Jackson as a member of his flock, and he hosts relationship shows on radio and television in the U.S. I sat down with him when he got off the stage. Uh, we've heard for centuries that uh, love should be the fulcrum of marriage, the foundation of relationships. But love is actually uh, a beautiful, comforting, nurturing emotion. It's not one that drags you uh, electrically towards another person with this irrepressible urge. That would be lust. Look how often I counsel uh, married couples where the husband's been unfaithful and the wife is sitting there with tears streaming down her cheeks. And she'll say to him, I I was so devoted to you. How could you do this to me? And his response is, I didn't love her. 
So if you didn't love her, why'd you do it? Because he lusted after her. If you put love and lust side by side, love stands no chance. So if lust is a so much more compelling, powerful, electrifying emotion than love, why aren't we using it to create passionate marriages? There's a problem, uh, particularly in the States, with passionate marriages, correct? Uh, you mean the loss of passion? The lo yeah. the loss of passion is uh, the single biggest cause behind divorce. I mean, think about it. When we hear the terminology of uh, irreconcilable differences or, or, or people fighting over finances that leads to marital breakdown or parental intervention and so many of these other things that sociologists identify as the causes of divorce, what you're really saying is that the, the core glue of the relationship that once drew a husband to his wife or vice versa has been so diluted that now money becomes more important or a parent's opinion becomes more important because desire is lost. Desire is the essence of a relationship. Kosher lust is where a man truly desires his wife and his wife alone, and where a wife truly desires her husband and her husband alone. It's where you grant each other the twin virtues of primacy and exclusivity, making one another the one and the only. So how does Orthodox Judaism encourage lust in a marriage? Well, in many ways. First and foremost, by emphasizing uh, differences between the sexes. Gender difference is something that's pronounced in our religion. Judaism also insists on the very exclusive nature of sex so that sex becomes a big deal. I think in our culture, sex is not a big deal. Look at the kind of terminology we use to describe sex. On American campuses, it's called hooking up, which connotes the interaction between a station wagon and a U-Haul, not the intimate experience of like a, a man and a woman. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that we employ the three rules of, of lust, which I discuss in my book. Unavailability, there's a period of sexual abstention in every Jewish marriage. And I actually think that every couple, non-Jewish couple, should be practicing that as well, where you allow yourself to lust after one another because you don't just satiate the need. Also rules of modesty. Well, that's the second rule of lust. The first rule of lust is unavailability. The second rule is uh, mystery. I see husbands and wives who take care of the hygienic needs in front of each other. They're flossing their teeth, they're relieving themselves. There's, marriage is not supposed to be about that kind of openness at all. I, I actually believe that husbands and wives should not walk around the bedroom naked. Because if you do, you demagnetize the body. Familiarity breeds contempt. When a woman takes off her clothes, her husband is supposed to be incapable of not looking, as opposed to you know, watching television or reading a good book. There's supposed to be this erotic charge. And finally, I'm a great believer in the sinful marriage. I think marriage is way too legal. I think there's a sinful dimension that we have to bring into marriage. And we have to reject this idea that marriage is about um, the comforts and, and the protective side I think we need more dangerous marriages. You quoted Steve Jobs a lot. So how can you compare this to uh, marketing an iPad? Well, I quoted Steve Jobs insofar as the success of the iPhone, the iPad, the success of Apple had less to do with its great technology, and it has great technology, and much more to do with the way it marketed itself. Steve Jobs was the first marketer who wanted people not to love his product the way you love a car, but to actually lust after his product to wait online to buy one for five hours, the way that Romeo w waited outside Juliet's balcony. And he did that by employing the three rules of lust. Number one, he made the phone unavailable. You couldn't buy it. Number two, very mysterious. Apple never reveals what they're working on, so you have to guess, and it leads to uh, mental anticipation. Number three, rebelliousness and sinfulness. He always positioned Apple as the upstart against this hegemon, against IBM, the big brother, the 1984 famous Apple commercial. So those three things, unavailability, mystery, and sinfulness, were, were vital to the marketing of Apple products. Isn't there a natural time when lust dissipates after a certain amount of time? People believe that, but I think that's a cop-out. It's like saying, isn't there historical inevitability in great nations declining? Will Canada go down the tubes because it has no choice but, but to do so because of historical inevitability?
to say, well, Canada is going to one day suck and so will America because that's what happened to Rome and that's what happened to the Aztecs, the Mayans. They made big mistakes, those cultures, and that's why they disappeared. Same thing is true of a marriage and a relationship. The lust does not have to recede. It's a cop-out to say that it, ha that it does. It's a cop-out to say this is only enzymatic and it depends on hormones. And as you get older, you don't lust anymore. I think that's contemptuous of people who are growing older. Is there a certain amount of time where you see in your practice that people, um, you know, they get bored of each other? No. I actually see, take for example, I mean, bored with each other doesn't mean you can't make it more interesting. Yes, if you absolutely bring no creativity or imagination to a long-term relationship, it will founder, it will become very practical, and then the romance will die. That can happen in a relationship after six months as well. I mean, let's remember that the majority of people, in the United States at least, I don't know the Canadian statistics, who divorce do so within the first four years of marriage. There's a, a new phenomenon, though, called gray divorce. Are you familiar with it? And how do you counsel people? They have to work on their relationship like, any, like people who just married. You know, marriage requires constant reinvention. And you can reinvent yourself after 25 years in the same way you can reinvent yourself after, after five months. Reinvention and creativity is, is critical to life and to marriage. Do you still lust after your wife? Well, I sure as heck try to lust after my wife. Lust is not an emotion that just comes naturally to us. Like you said, it dissipates due to regularity and routine. But the purpose of my book is to demonstrate how we can manipulate the erotic mind in order to lust constantly. And I absolutely make that effort. I, I do not write books and give people advice that I myself don't try to practice. And uh, it's not as if my own advice is often easy to implement. I understand its challenges, but I know that it's absolutely worthwhile. And thank God, I know that it works. Rabbi Shmuley Boteach, thanks very much. Thank you very much. You can also see Rabbi Shmuley's Idea City performance at ideacityonline.com. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. One of the world's most famous songwriters celebrated his 72nd birthday this week. In just a moment, we'll return with the music of Sir Paul McCartney. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, The Old Woman stars Mikhail Baryshnikov and Willem Dafoe. It's the story of two distinguished men who must dispose of a corpse. It's at BAM's Howard Gilman Opera House. The work of 96-year-old artist Ethel Stein is the focus of a new exhibition at the Art Institute of Chicago. The master weaver is known for her unique combination of refined traditional weaving techniques and modernist sensibilities. And in Paris, go back 100 years at the exhibition Summer 1914, The Last Days of the Old World. It's at the Francois Mitterrand Gallery and explores the months leading up to the First World War. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, Sir Paul McCartney celebrated his 72nd birthday. He was born on June 18, 1942. McCartney is widely considered one of pop music's finest songwriters. With the Beatles, he penned some of the most enduring songs of the 20th century. In the 1970s, he continued to churn out hit songs with his next band, Wings, and following that, he's enjoyed a very successful solo career with his most recent album, New, just released in October 2013. Today, we'll celebrate the superstar's birthday with one of his most popular songs from the Beatles era. Here is 
Penny Lane. Penny Lane, there is a barber showing photographs of every head he's had the pleasure to know. And all the people that come and go, stop and say hello. On the corner is a banker with a motor car. The little children having him behind his back. was the Beatles with Penny Lane. It was one of their many hits written by Sir Paul McCartney, who celebrated his 72nd birthday earlier this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week when we talk about how sexual orientation can change as we age. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive Producer, Moses Nyman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.